Welcome to Talking Nutritionally. I'm Ellie McLean, your host and nutritionist. Through this podcast, I hope to connect you with the answers to your biggest nutrition-related questions. Each week, I interview experts in their field from training to hormone health, fertility, body composition, metabolic health, gut health, and so much more. We cover it all because it all influences you achieving peak health and performance. I hope you enjoy tuning in each week. If you do, please be sure to follow me for more via Instagram at Nutritionally. And please also be aware that this show is not intended to treat or diagnose any health conditions. And if you do need tailored support, please explore more at nutritionally.com. In episode 16, I welcome Megan Haralampu, the biomedical naturopath. She has a Bachelor of Biomedical Science and a Bachelor of Clinical Sciences, majoring in naturopathic studies and complementary medicine. She has a passion for bringing evidence-based practice to holistic health, and that is exactly why I wanted her on the show. We talk about the difference between having optimal test results versus in-range test results, which really is the hallmark of a functional health practitioner. Megan explains the optimal windows for hormone testing, as well as the common pictures of female hormone imbalance. We explore toxin exposure, exposure to the oral contraceptive pill, and the gut hormone connection. If you've ever been told you have estrogen dominance, if you have a history of PMS, irregular periods, digestive discomfort, or you've been thinking of coming off the oral contraceptive pill, then this episode is an absolute must listen for you. Hello, Megan. It's great to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I, um, I respect your work a lot. Uh, I think that you've got some incredible background. Um, the overqualified naturopath, I think, is one of the quotes that I potentially saw on your website. Um, but from what I've seen, you can absolutely back that up in terms of the resources that you deliver and obviously the work that you do with your clients. So I'm really excited to have this conversation and thank you very much for putting the time aside. Um, I really wanted to pick your brains on gut and hormones and the connection that I don't think a lot of people intuitively would put together. Before we get there, though, uh, I just want you to share a little bit about yourself, maybe about the two degrees um, that you have um, or what, what, what brought you to practicing as a naturopath. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Megan Haralampo. I'm better known as the biomedical naturopath on Instagram. And yes, um, I do uh, talk um, a little bit about that with being an overqualified qualified naturopath. I have done um, a biomedical science degree and I've also done a Bachelor of Clinical Sciences where I majored in naturopathy and complementary medicine. I initially, with my biomedical science degree, did that in the uh, kind of pathway I initially wanted to go down was to become an integrative GP. And as I moved through that degree, although I loved it, I found that um, medicine just wasn't the space that I wanted to be at. I really wanted to be working with more um, natural therapies, doing more of a root cause approach, but I really enjoyed that science-based background that I had. And that's something that I bring into my practice um, today. And so, yes, the overqualified naturopath, um, I didn't need to do all those extra (laughs) degrees, um, but I've done them anyway, but that was the reason I suppose. 
suppose I initially did those two degrees was because I did the Bachelor of Biomedical Science to become a integrative GP. And then I've gone down the route of, um, you know, holistic medicine and being a naturopath as well. Yeah, which I think is incredible. Yeah, thank you. Because it, uh, and I, I saw this on your website, but I just really love the way that um, you articulated it. I think there's two parts to being able to train sort of integratively or sorry, being able to practice integratively or holistically or as a functional practitioner, um, which is one part, which is actually the assessment and, and understanding and using things like, you know, blood tests and hormone profiles and, and stool analysis. Um, and then the, you know, the other half is what treatment strategies are you going to use? And it sounds like you, you know, definitely went down the path of using natural versus, you know, versus learning more about, you know, the pharmaceutical, but that first step of like assessing and understanding, it's so different in the like integrative or functional space, isn't it? Because the, the extra work is being put into understanding well, what is optimal, like, you know, like what, what is the optimal reference range for ferritin as, you know, one little example or, or um, estrogen. And I know that that's something you've done a lot of work in, isn't it? Like really dialing in on what are those optimal references and ranges that we should be assessing our clients against. Absolutely. And that's what I specialize in is blood um, pathology testing. And so, and just like you said, the optimal range that we have, you know, there's there's in range and then there's optimal right and like mm. you said you've got iron studies and you've got iron studies that go from you know you've got iron your blood which is 10 to 33 and i think you've got transat which is i don't know 10 to 30 or something 40 maybe 50 mm. anyway and then you've got ferritin and then ferritin's maybe a same you know uh, 30 to 200 or something mm. and you might be sitting on the bottom end of those ranges and yet you are still told that you're okay but you don't feel okay and same goes with estrogen you might go to your gp and oftentimes i hear this with women is that they go to their gp they get their you know quote unquote bloods tested or hormones tested which is usually completely pitiful unfortunately most people when they come to me tell me that they've had their bloods done i have you know take one look at them and they've literally had vitamin d iron a full blood count some clients haven't even come to me with hormone testing, although they've yeah. reached out to the doctor for fertility. Yeah. And I just say to them, well, I haven't even tested your hormones. And so this, you know, in terms of fertility kind of means nothing for me. And as you said, that optimal level that we're looking for, you know, there is a big difference between being optimal and being within range. And there is a huge difference in how you can, huge difference in how you can feel when you are sitting on these outlier numbers that you're sitting at, whereas you kind of want to be aiming for within that optimal range and that can make a world of difference in how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we get stuck into looking at the the hormones that you're commonly assessing for uh, and and looking at in, in women, in particular those that could be affected by the gut, maybe looking at just the importance of timing the testing because I'm sure that you come across this challenge regularly and it does help with you understanding optimal is when to test female reproductive hormones um when would you ideally want to see the likes of estrogen and progesterone maybe let's start there when would you ideally want to see them assessed oh estrogen and progesterone you're wanting to test seven days before your expected period so if you have <coughs> pardon me 
If you have a 28-day cycle, that means you get tested on day 21. If you have a 40-day cycle, that means you get tested on day 33. If you have a 35-day cycle, you get tested on day 28. For the women that I see who have irregular periods, this is something that I have a discussion with them about just, you know, having a guess and sometimes we do have to do that um sometimes we get it sometimes we don't you can do a day three estrogen test so that will then be able to tell me how high or how low those estrogen levels are they can also give me a really good indication of your egg quality as well if that fsh is above 10 uh, that tells me that the fsh is having to shout quite loud at the ovary to make it grow and so that can indicate poor egg quality Mm. So interesting there because we just highlighted two really separate times of the cycle to test for, I guess, two different, like even there, just two different scenarios, like one being that seven-day pre-period, the other being that that day three of the menstrual cycle. Um, yeah. So like how common would it be that someone would just go and get all of those tests done at the one time and um, expect you to be able to, you know, read that optimally? Um, yeah, not very often. And this is why on my website before a client books in that I tell them exactly when they need to get tested. So I let them know how they need to do the test because that's also really important. All blood tests should be done fasting with no exception there. I'll say there's like tiny exceptions, but most I will say, I think as a general rule, always get them done fasting. And the reason being is Eating food dramatically changes your blood test results like iron, your liver enzymes, your white blood cells, um, cholesterol. There are huge differences. And although they might not be out of range, and this is where that optimal really comes in for me because you want to be testing, you want to be comparing apples with apples. If I look at a non-fasting versus fasting, I might be looking at really two different readings and I might be going, I might be looking at one going, oh, her white blood cells are elevated. Why are they? Whereas if I looked at in a fasting state, actually her white blood cells are completely normal. It same goes with iron. If you eat it, um, your iron levels can artificially go up. And then I might misdiagnose someone with having an elevated iron result when in fact they're iron deficient. Mm, it's, um, and so that fasting is super important. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I think with liver enzymes, there's as much as like 30% difference that can happen with fasted versus non-fasted results. It's huge. Mm. And for some women, you know, it's it, it, you can maybe... Um, you know, you can analyze that and think, okay, well, this per- this person doesn't have any other risk factors for um, for liver issues, so I'm going to ask them whether they did the test fasted or not fasted, and perhaps sort of appease any concerns around liver function based on those answers. But in some cases, like some people who are you know prime targets for liver dysfunction, you want to see those accurate results. Um, so the yeah, the way that somebody tests obviously really influences the way that you analyze it and then that you treat it. But um, I want to ask about the reproductive hormones in particular and just get an idea from you as to what are some of the common um, pictures that you see in your practice? Because I'm sure what you see in your practice most commonly is going to be reflective of, of what the audience is also dealing with but what are some of the common like I guess imbalances or hormone pictures that you might see with women coming in yeah sure so the most common ones you'll see particularly in this day and age 
is high estrogen. And unfortunately, uh, xenoestrogens are so ubiquitous throughout our environment now. And our gut health is so, and I know we'll touch on gut health mm. soon, but our gut health is so terrible these days that we A, aren't able to effectively get out our estrogen anymore and B, we are being bombarded by estrogen, you know, left, right and centre through our environment, unfortunately. So I would say high elevated estrogen is probably the most common presentation that I see. And so that can look for a lot of women, you know, uh, headaches, tender breasts, mood swings, depression, uh, painful periods, heavy periods, fibroids, the list goes on. I feel like you can feel almost anything with high estrogen <laughs> where we need it. That elevated estrogen can certainly make us feel um, not so great either as well. Well, then low progest- mm, sorry, sorry, you go. No, no, you go. I was, was going to say like, yes, you could, you could, you could pin a lot of, I guess, side effects to, to elevated estrogen, but then yeah, how do you sort of pick that apart from low progesterone, which I think is where you were going to go. Yes, absolutely. And so what you can have is a picture of high estrogen, but normal progesterone and normal progesterone would be a greater than 40 on a seven days before your expected period. And then an estrogen at least under 500, I really tend to more that 350, 450, but at least under 500 would be ideal. And that presentation would be then high estrogen, but maybe a normal progesterone, but that progesterone, although normal, has got no hope of balancing out that amount of estrogen that's being uh, sequestered into the bloodstream or being unable to be excreted. And so it feels often like low progesterone, although not a strict standard low progesterone. Mm. And then you have those women that I certainly do see who have maybe a normal estrogen and a low progesterone or have a high estrogen and also a uh, low progesterone as well. Mm. Testosterone is another really important one that goes with women who have um, PCOS, so testosterone is another one, high level, elevated levels of testosterone. And also prolactin is another big one that I test for too, just to rule out any other causes for maybe an absent period because that can often be the cause of an absent period. Mm. Imbalance in the thyroid hormones as well as an, another big uh, testing space that I'm in. And then also checking, um, you know, whether that I'm coming back into that testosterone as well, or whether it's low as well, because certainly low, low testosterone can make you feel absolutely crappy too. Very meh and whatever and blah about life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you often, and I ask this just because it's something that I find myself sort of seeking whenever I'm doing a testosterone test at the moment, would you often be asking for sex hormone binding globulin or SHB, um, SHBG alongside that? Or do you find that you can analyze the testosterone without that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I would always do a sex hormone binding globulin, particularly if I am suspecting PCOS. Mm -hmm. um, and then if that sex hormone binding globulin is depressed, then often I will also then request an insulin test to kind of understand, well, what's reducing it. Or in some cases, if it's being elevated to oftentimes women with excessive estrogen will have a high sex hormone binding globulin and women who have high testosterone will oftentimes have a low sex hormone binding globulin, which allows for more bioavailable testosterone to float around in the bloodstream. Mm. And therefore exacerbating those PCOS-like symptoms. Absolutely. Mm. So, um, yeah, lots of different scenarios happening. Um, I think a lot of people would resonate with that um, high estrogen, you know, low progesterone 
type scenario. Um, why is that happening so much? Like what are, you talked about um, xenoestrogens and, and gut health, but, you know, broadly speaking, what do you think are the drivers leading to that, that I guess, um, that discrepancy, whether it be high estrogen, low progesterone, high estrogen, norm, normal progesterone, what's leading to that discrepancy in the second half of the cycle? I think, and as I said earlier, I think it really comes down to that we're being excessively bombarded. You know, plastics um, are the number one ways that we get xenoestrogens through um, in our environment. For women, though, beauty products, you know, mm. <laughs> everything you put on your skin, all those ones that are toxic from like L'Oreal, Maybelline, all of those ones, those types of beauty products are very high in xenoestrogens. And so you are then slathering that in yourself every single day for 15, 20, 30 plus years. And that's a huge load. And then if you have poor liver detoxification and then a poor gut detoxification as well, then you're not effectively able to take that trash out, that being the um, waste of estrogen. And so I think it's a two-pronged thing. I think it's that we are being bombarded excessively, particularly as women, by xenoestrogens in our environment, not only the things that we put on our skin, but even keeping food in plastic containers. You know, there's a whole slew of ways that we can get xenoestrogens in the environment. And then I think we're not being able to effectively eradicate that excessive estrogen through poor gut function. And that poor gut function for most women, and I obviously um, see a disproportionate number of these women is women who have been on the pill for an excessively long period of time or women who have been roaccutane often have significantly disrupted gut function and that plays a huge role in the um, you know inability to be able to get um, rid of that excessive estrogen and then we get this build-up there are also genetic issues as well. Having a um, comp gene issue as well can be certainly problematic as well um, but I think mostly it's that you know gut and then also we're having that kind of increased exposure within our environment. Mm. So um, the plastics, you know, really being the, the common plastics, like, you know, that you're um, storing your food in, in the fridge or the freezer, or that you're buying produce or groceries in, or that you're, you know, drinking your water out of, that's the sort of plastics you're talking about, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then um, in terms of personal products, just for the sake of people who are listening, who are, you know, having any light bulb moments and thinking, you know, holy crap, I um, have never thought about my, you know, my beauty regime or skincare regime is impacting my hormone imbalance. There's a great um, website or platform called Nourish Life. I don't know if you use it, mm, but they I love have, Nourish Life. Yeah. Isn't it great? Like you can either buy from there or just use it as your you know, your tool to learn what products are more environmentally friendly and also, um, you know, friendlier for your health and your hormone balance. But that's got, got you know, the, the whole array of household products, personal products, makeup on there to help you find a lower tox option. Absolutely. I always direct my clients to Nourish Life because it's great as that starting point because it can, as you touched on there, be really overwhelming 
to sort of, um, you know, dip your toe into this space and think, wow, okay, everything in my environment is, could be, be potentially impacting on me. But I always say, start more, start small, start with the things that you can do. A simple thing is like changing your plastic water bottle to either glass or stainless steel. That can be a really easy spot. And then as you move through your beauty products, using them, and then as they finish off, then swapping over to a new one. And the Nourish Life is really great platform to use because they have thousands, I know you would have seen as well, mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of reviews for you wow. to help and, you know, what products might work best for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is two-sided, isn't it, with estrogen? So, like, by the sounds of what you're saying, you've got this this interaction with the environment which is causing excess in terms of production and then you've got the other side of it with this, which is the interference of the detoxification of estrogen um, because it do, does have to be detoxified. Can you explain that a little bit? Like, because people, when I speak to my clients, they're like, oh, you're going to have to get rid of it. That, that's, <laughs> you know, that's a really new concept for people to, to, to understand. So can you just explain a little bit about, you know, what it means to, to clear and detoxify estrogens? Yeah, so estrogen has to go through three areas of detoxification. So the first is your phase one through your liver. And so that primarily, as I said, happens in the liver and you basically take that fat-soluble molecule and turn it into a water-soluble molecule, which then can be excreted. Then phase two of that liver detoxification is basically, you know, getting into the liver, uh, getting into the gut to then be basically kind of dumped out, I suppose. And then phase three is really that, um, you know, gut, um, you know, connection there. So once that estrogen has gone through both phase one and phase two, liver detoxification, it then, and I'm very talking about it very simplistically here, but eventually gets dumped into your gut. And then once it's in your gut, then it goes out for excretion. But things like constipation, Mm. if you don't go to the toilet for days, what happens is that estrogen will sit in your gut and if it sits there for too long, that allows for the reabsorption of that estrogen back into your bloodstream. So now that estrogen that was ready to be detoxified gets into your gut, uh, goes back into your bloodstream and has to go through that whole process again. So increasing your estrogen load. The other thing that can happen in the gut as well, there is a molecule called um, beta-glucuronidase and beta-glucuronidase forces the estrogen. So you might not have quote-unquote constipation. You might be effectively or going to, let's just say you're going to the toilet every day, although you can still be constipated, but that's another thing we'll talk about. Um, You might still be going to the toilet every day, but you might have really high levels of something called beta-glucuronidase in your gut. And essentially what happens when you have high levels of beta-glucuronidase in your gut is that the estrogen gets into your gut, super ready to go out. The beta-glucuronidase basically forces it back into the recirculation. Doesn't matter what you do, it will force that to come back into circulation. So things like calcium deglucurate can be really helpful for that. They help to specifically reduce um, beta-glucuronidase. Mm. So, well. um, so there's like three levels of the gauntlet that estrogen has to go through to, to eliminate the system, which basically, you know, yeah, which in a well, which in a well-functioning body is all fine, right? Like that's what we're designed to do is to, is to be able to carry out all of those processes. Um, are there any signs that might help, you know, you as a practitioner or someone listening 
any signs that may help them to understand whether their high estrogen is coming from, I guess, you know, a failure at any one of those three checkpoints? Sure. So you can do liver enzyme testing. I am a stickler and I don't know if you've heard of it, but Gilbert syndrome. So Gilbert syndrome is an elevated bilirubin level greater than 10 on a fasting blood test or fasting, they call it serum biochemistry um, test. And if you have Gilbert syndrome, you will take longer to get your estrogen out alongside a whole slew of things, which we won't get into today. But uh, estrogen is another big one. So if you have something called Gilbert syndrome, and as I said, that's a raised bilirubin, a greater than 10 on three or more serum biochemistry tests, you can see it. It's very, um, very easy to spot once you know what you're looking for. That can slow down your ability to you know, get estrogen out. So that could be one flag for me if I see a client who has Gilbert syndrome and I've seen those three you know, bilirubin levels that are greater than 10. And I think, okay, I think this is a thing for this particular person, then I can then work on their, you know, liver detoxification for them. And then looking at the liver enzymes in general, what's their ALT, AST, GGT doing? What's their heavy metal exposure? What's their exposure to other um, environmental chemicals in their life? Certainly, um, you know, if they've got fatty liver, you know, and that's very easy to spot in a blood test, that'll be a raised GGT. GT level as well. Uh, anyone who gets uh, itchy with certain things. So I have some clients who will consume uh, supplements or certain types of foods and they will get itchy from that. And that can be an indication of poor phase two, uh, phase one, I believe, liver detoxification. So it gets stuck and they get itchy on their skin. Mm. So those can be signs and symptoms that I look for. And then within your gut, asking all those general questions about your gut. How often are you going to the toilet? Are you straining? Is there mucus in your stool? Does it look smooth? Is it, you know, uh, breaks apart? Is there, you know, lots of food particles in there that you can see? You know, is it, I call it cow patty or soft serve consistency. I like to add <laughs> to my clients, um, you know, asking them about their stool. Do they get nausea, reflux? bloating, IBS-like symptoms, all of these things can tell me, you know, give me clues as to whether this person might be really struggling with a gut-related, you know, issue that might be impacting on their hormones. But then I also have a small, very small percentage of my clients who have absolutely no gut symptoms. Mm. And then we've done a gut test and then you go, oh, wow, okay. I wasn't expecting that, but there was a huge imbalance within their gut microbiome. So I would say, even if you didn't have per se, quote unquote, gut symptoms, then I would still be having a look under that rock to say, is this a thing or is this not a thing? And it might not be a thing and you can kind of go, okay, all right, I've looked under that rock, it's not a thing. Yeah. The GI map test. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The GI map test is a great place to start. It's um, really cutting edge technology. It looks at a huge array of different types of bugs good bacteria, bad bacteria, worms, parasites, leaky gut, calprotect inflammation markers in the bowel, fat absorption, beta-glucuronidase that will also pick up. So they're a really great functional test that you can do. Your naturopath can order it for you. You don't actually need to go through the GP for that one. Mm. Oh, it's such a great test. I, I typically use the complete microbiome map, which I, I guess is naturopath's yeah. version of the GI map. But um, yes. I would agree. I think it's just so holistic in terms of being able to look at 
you know, I think of it as being like both ends in terms of the, the functional digestive side and then the other end, you know, the microbiome and, and what's happening in that landscape in the gut. Um, so I might put a link to some example reports um, in the show notes for people. Um, I guess it also goes ba- both ways, wouldn't it, in terms of that gut hormone connection. So, you know, one perspective is looking at the gut and how it influences um, detoxification. But would you look, be looking at it the other way in terms of the gut influences, you know, the nutrients that we have available to then support optimal hormone production and balance? Absolutely, without a doubt, it, and I would agree with you there that it does go both way, both ways. If you have really poor gut function, then it is going to be harder for you to be able to absorb those nutrients from the gut into the into the bloodstream, and particularly if you have a condition called uh, SIBO. So SIBO is where you've got bacteria in your small intestine, and that bacteria creates low grade inflammation and when you've got inflammation there that compromises the brush border and the brush border is where all of your digestive enzymes hang out to help with nutrient absorption Mm -hmm. and so if there is compromisation of that brush border then there is going to be poor nutrient uptake and then if you add on top of that poor you know large bowel function as well that of course impacts on things like magnesium and there's a whole bunch of other nutrients that are absorbed there but a lot of the nutrients that we absorb happen you know within that small intestine and we've only got a 20 minute window for those nutrients to be able to be adequately absorbed and so if you've got diarrhea and really like quick fast um, bowel motions or quick transit time so you know from the moment you eat you're pooing it within you know out within sort of 12 hours that's too fast and so even that can be you know impacting on your ability to absorb your nutrition as well and then on top of that if you are really struggling with you know potentially SIBO or an underlying gut condition as well it might be really hard for you to actually absorb your um, nutrition from your food as well Mm. Um, and I just know the sorts of people that will be listening and they'll be like oh I'm resonating with, you know, some of these signs and symptoms or I've heard SIBO being um, being highlighted to me um, before. So thank you for making that connection. Um, but I guess it also just wouldn't in- impact estrogen, would it? As in if, if there is that inflammation in the gut, it could potentially go on to affect other hormones. Absolutely, yes, particularly thyroid hormone without a doubt, which then would then have a knock-on effect to progesterone. So we need adequate thyroid function in order to help us make progesterone. But thyroid conversion, I believe off the top of my head, I think it's T4 conversion uh, or T4 synthesis. Um, I'm not too sure. I'll have to check. But um, some happens in the liver and some of it also happens within the gut as well. So these two big organs, it's really important that we, you know, keep them healthy and keep them working well so they can support our body the best that they can. Mm. Um, Thyroid hormones, um, also things like um, serotonin, you know, that's like that happy hormone, say that 95% of that is produced and stored in the gut. So if there's inflammation or imbalances in the gut, it will affect that hormone. It's quite incredible to think that our gut, which, you know, you would think is just responsible for, you know, helping us to break down the apple and eliminate the waste from that apple, 
influences yes. in in all of these ways. Mm, Amazing. Mm. It is. It's incredible. And I think that research is really now starting to catch up to, I suppose, what most of us, you know, uh, functional health practitioners have been saying for years is that the gut is truly that cornerstone of health. And if you can have a really well functioning gut that can, you know, put you in good stead for, you know, many um, other kind of, you know, conditions or at least preventing a lot of those conditions as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, Hippocrates was way ahead of his time and he said all disease disease begins in the gut. Um, Okay, so I also read on your website that one of your greatest passions was helping women to come off the oral contraceptive pill and I I love that because I can see that there are so many potential benefits for people not being on the oral contraceptive pill, you know, unnecessarily, but at the same time it's really daunting for women to think that, you know, they're going to come off it and look at, you know, managing contraception or, you know, hormone balance or skin issues in another way. But in the context of gut, what are some of the downsides of that combined oral contraceptive pill that could be influencing the gut? So they've done some really great studies on the gut and the effect it has when you take the pill. And so we know unequivocally that when you take the pill, particularly an oral contraceptive pill, that there is an increased level of inflammation. So it's very obvious on a blood test when I see it, CRP will go up, very obvious. And so CRP is that inflammatory marker um, that we look for to tell us, you know, is the body inflamed? Although, of course, we know the body can be inflamed, but not responding to that um, CRP marker. But when you are on the pill, that CRP marker will go up. We know it creates widespread inflammation within that gut. It also disrupts the pH balance, so making it more favorable for the overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria um, as well. And it just significantly disrupts the microbiome diversity um, you know, of that um, gut as well. And that all then plays a role in then how that gut functions because our gut is an ecosystem. You know, it's an it's one of your, it is your biggest internal ecosystem that you have and when you take something every day and you swallow that tiny pill every day you're effectively just you know throwing gasoline on a fire every day and then you know there is very poor ability to kind of you know uh, put that fire out, so to speak, um, with our daily practices. It's really hard to offset that from that pill because it is so potent. It's the pill is the ultimate endocrine disruptor. There is no other thing in this planet that you will take that will shut your entire endocrine system down except the pill does that. And there is nothing, nothing greater um, that has more power to yield on your body than that of the oral contraceptive pill. Mm, um I think Lara Bryden refers to it as a reversible castration. Like, you know, if, if we were to do to men, you know, what we do to ourselves in going on the oral contraceptive pill, like I just wouldn't even consider it. Um, No. And they have tried. (laughs) Don't like it. And failed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the gut's just one thing, isn't it, in terms of, you know, the inflammation in the gut is just, is just one of those things um, that might eventually, you know, encourage someone to look at coming off the oral contraceptive pill. 
aside from the obvious of, you know, I want to try and conceive some coming off the pill, can you help me, Megan? What would be, do you think, like what usually like gets people over the line in terms of, okay, I, you know, that was the final straw, I'm, I'm coming off the pill. Is there a common theme that you, you see? I think women just feel crap, to be honest. I think women just come to me and they have anxiety. They have no libido. They've got, you know, uh, you know, still dealing. I would say the biggest issues that most of the women I see are that they just feel like absolute crap. They've either got anxiety, depression, OCD, you've got thrush, UTIs, then they've got no libido. So they never want to have sex with their partner. Mm. And then when they come to that understanding that when they take the oral contraceptive pill that they are not having a period, they're having a pill bleed and that their entire, you know, system is kind of being shut down, that, you know, they come to that kind of point where they don't want to feel rubbish anymore. And I would say most of my clients just absolutely feel rubbish, myself included, when I was on the pill. But there is a lot of fears then associated with coming off the pill, fear of getting pregnant, fear of bad skin, fear of painful periods, you know, heavy periods, whatever the reason you went on the pill, those fears come back because they often will come back with a vengeance because when you go on the pill, it's not fixing anything. It's just putting a temporary stop on those symptoms because you've turned off essentially your hormonal production. So you don't have to deal with those hormones anymore. But when you, you know, cease that pill, those hormones will come back and do, you know, either what they were doing before or even worse, because, you know, now for a lot of women that I see, they've been on the pill for five, 10, 20 years and their, you know, gut health is absolutely atrocious at that point. And they've, you know, suppressed a fire that's been raging for, you know, however long. And now they've got to deal with that fire essentially. Yeah. So yeah, you can completely appreciate why people are worried about coming off it you know, if they were on the pill to, you know, resolve um, skin issues, for example. But you don't just do it blindly. You know, that's why you've got people like yourself to work with. Um, I see a lot of women coming off the pill as well. But it's it, it's preparation, isn't it? Like if you're prepared for it, then you don't have to expect the, um, the, the big, you know, the bomb to go off in, in coming off the pill. You can sort of prepare your body to to come off it, which um, I think is why it is, it is su- such a good thing. There are holistic practitioners like you out there that um, can help someone prepare their body to come off the pill. Absolutely. And I do see that with clients who prepare it, prepare their body adequately and that being with their mineral repletion, you know, checking in with their diet, checking in with their liver, checking in with their gut, just making sure those cornerstones are, you know, well-balanced. I'll often give lots of women that, you know, sort of detoxification support, mineral repletion, you know, vitamin repletion, depending on what cups back in their blood tests. And then also then looking at their blood tests and saying, okay, I think you need a little bit more of an extra support, particularly in this area. Or if they have, you know, other signs of gut dysfunction, I'll then work on their gut before then we come off the pill. Or if their liver looks like it's really struggling, I'll focus on the liver and really kind of hone in on that. So I always take very much a personalized approach, never, 
no two treatment plans are ever the same. I'm always looking at what those clues are telling me, not only in the symptoms that they're describing, but then also when I look at their pathology, what do I really need to focus on? And I'll then typically focus on those in preparation for them coming off the pill. And that that really helps hold women in really good stead. I oftentimes don't do any hormonal work initially. And the reason being is I like to see what the body will do on its own. And the reason being is if I go in with all guns blazing with DIM potentially or calcium deglucrate or things that reduce estrogen, then I might be doing more harm than good because then they might not get a period back. And so I'm like, okay, well, I've reduced the estrogen. That's not actually what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And so I always just give the body a bit of space to just say, okay, what are you going to do? If they might get a regular period back straight away within 28 days, 30 days, 35 days, whatever it ends up being, they might not get a period back for two or three months. And if that at that point they don't get a period back for a few months, then I will then do a hormonal blood panel just to see if things are even up online or looking like they're kind of doing something and then I'll support the body um, at that point with um, herbs and nutrients that can really support whatever imbalance that I'm seeing within the blood. Yeah. Which I think is a really great way to go about it. Um, Obviously you've mentioned blood, like blood hormonal assessment or serum hormone assessment. Do you often use other testing methods, mixing my words there? Um, For example, would you use salivary hormonal profiling or do you ever use something along the lines of um, Dutch or dried urine testing as a means for assessing hormones? Or can you you do most of your work with a thorough, you know, um, uh, client history and blood analysis? I don't need them. And so, and, and the reason being is I'm so... I have so my training is so in depth with blood pathology is that I don't actually need people to go off and do those expensive ones through Dutch. Are they amazing tests? Yes, absolutely. The Dutch test is fantastic. I have used the Dutch test and do use it in certain cases, particularly if I have a client with a really strong family history of breast cancer Mm. and I want to know how they're funneling their estrogen. Is that estrogen going down the cancer pathway and do I need to support proper adequate methylation or proper adequate um, conversion of that estrogen? And the Dutch is a really great starting point for me to kind of say to that client, particularly if they do have that risk factor there for breast cancer to be, okay, you are funneling it down this pathway, let's get you off it and then we can retake. But I don't actually need it anymore. I just do blood um, and test interpretation. And that's basically all I do now. As I said, very um, small amount of clients. I'll do the Dutch, but it is really only those ones that I have that really strong uh, breast cancer family history. And those ones that really come to me wanting, you know, to have it, I don't actually need it. Yeah. Yeah which I think is great. Um, You know, you've got an amazing resource on your website, which is about um, looking at reference ranges and understanding hormone analysis. Um, Are there any other new resources or things coming down the line that are going to be available soon that you might want listeners to be aware of? Yeah, so I've got those three resources currently. So I have that ultimate blood testing hormone guide. So this incorporates all of the hormones, thyroid, cortisol, DHEA, and all the traditional estrogen, progesterone that we know of. And then I have that PCOS blood testing guide. So those are for women. It's really specifically designed for 
women who think they may have PCOS and so how they can interpret those blood tests and the markers that might show up to really indicate PCOS. And then that third one's that blood test cheat sheet, just to give, you know, clients that little bit of an understanding of just those general markers and where you're kind of wanting to be sitting optimally. But in the work, so in the next, I'm going to say by the end of the year, without a doubt, that'll be released my course um it's been a really uh it's been a a, 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 a yeah it's been a uh, labor of love <laughs> late like, that's the word i'm looking for thank you labor of love um to really put that together it, it it's a um breaking up with birth control um basically transitioning off the pill um, it started off as a four-week program to help women transition off the pill and then it's blossomed into it's still a four-week program to come off the pill, but it really incorporates understanding what the pill is, what it does to your body, how to cycle track, the ways that you can do that using, you know, your cycle um, to your advantage. So then using, you know, exercise and nutrients throughout your cycle and how you can use that to benefit yourself, understanding all of your hormones and the role they play in your body. And then also then doing, uh, I do have one section there called post pill specific. So if women, you know, had heavy periods, you can then take these things specifically for those things. If you are worried about acne, this is how you treat that. If you had absent periods, this is how you treat that. If you had PCOS, this is how you treat that. So it's a really comprehensive course and I've been working on it since 2019. And I've had a lot, I've had a lot though going on in my life personally. So I haven't been able to dedicate that much time to it. So it's been really nice to come to this point where I've been able to get that done, but I'm so excited for that resource to be there for women. It'll be, um, and women can purchase it online. It'll be your own pace, go at your own, go at your own pace. Lots of amazing handouts for you to absolutely get a really good understanding of your hormones and help you feel prepared to come off the pill. And that's why, you know, as I began writing it, that I sort of, um, you know, I've got over a hundred pages of different writings that I've written because I, the more women I spoke to, it was more that they needed to understand not only how to get off the pill, but like what does even a healthy period look yeah, like? Yeah. How much blood loss am I meant to be having? You know, all of these questions, you know, that women had before they come off the pill is a really nice resource for women to kind of go, okay, what is my period actually normal? Am I getting a cycle within, you know, 24 to 35 days? Okay, great. I'm sitting within normal. That's okay. I am bleeding the right amount. And then being able to cycle track effectively. So talking about basal body tra- tracking, cervical mucus, and, you know, how to actually track your cycle when you come off. Cause that can also feel really overwhelming for a lot of women mm. when they come off the pill is that they have absolutely no idea. They have never checked in with cervical mucus before in their life. And they have, n- um, you know, not a great understanding of how to even do that. And often they rely on an app, mm. <coughs> pardon me, to track ovulation and when their cycle is coming and as you would know that's not an effective tool um to use to effectively track your cycles well no so a lot of room for error there yeah a lot of room for error i think it's only 21 percent effective so i wouldn't use it as a reliable form of birth birth control Mm -hmm. um but yeah super excited for you guys to have that resource there for you and as i said by the end of the year maybe by october we'll see i will be releasing that out into the world which will be yeah really exciting awesome well it sounds like a great tool and i can i can completely appreciate um why you've been at it for a number of years you know there may have been other things happening in your world and your life but 
I can appreciate that as you started writing about one thing, you were like, oh, I need to add this and I need to add that. So um, it yes, sounds like absolutely. you've thought about, thought about all those extras and yeah, it does sound like a, a fabulous resource. Um, so for people that want to know about it, I would say um, jump on and follow Megan on Instagram so you can be in touch with all of her updates um, and all of her great content as well. So it's the biomedical naturopath, isn't it? That's correct, yes. Perfect. Biomedical naturopath. Um, thank you so much, Megan, for being here. It's been wonderful talking to you and um, hopefully we'll speak again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode. Now, before you move on to the next thing, get a pen and write down one thing that inspired you from this week's show. That one thing you know you need to go away and start doing differently. Please also remember that this show is not intended to diagnose or treat any health conditions. So if you need tailored support and you'd like to do that with me, please head on over to my website, nutritionally.com forward slash work with me, where you can learn what it means to work with me.